This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. It's time now for a Washington report. Uh, that's when we put our attention on the United States uh, tragedy over the weekend, Bharati. This in Montana, I believe. Yes, where an Amtrak train derailed, it killed at least three people, injuring many other passengers. The Seattle-bound train was actually carrying some 141 passengers and 16 crew when eight cars derailed near the town of Joplin in north-central Montana. An investigation into the accident is underway currently. Yeah, very tragic. All right, New York City uh, is where we're headed to next. Uh, It seems there's an appeals court has temporarily blocked a mandate for school teachers and their workers to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, this comes just days before it was set to take effect. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio had set the deadline for nearly 150,000 school staff members to get at least one dose of a vaccine for Monday in the United States. The mandate does not allow for weekly testing as an alternative, which a small group of public school teachers and paraprofessionals are really unhappy about. We'll be looking into that debate as well. Uh, and this is a topic that Americans are quite passionate about, uh, especially if you're, you're reading about it on social media. It seems there are more restrictions on abortions, and this takes place in Texas. The state's governor, Greg Abbott, on Friday signed a new law that restricts access to abortion-inducing medications. The law on medications apparently prohibits mail-order abortion-inducing drugs, and it says that doctors in the state are only allowed to prescribe them up to seven weeks after conception, instead of 10 weeks previously. Mm. So to talk more about all of these issues, we're joined now by Nirmal Ghosh. He is U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Now, Nirmal, first of all, the Amtrak crash, which is the story that we led with earlier. This is the eighth Amtrak train crash in less than a decade, each one of them fatal. Tell us more about what's really causing these derailments. Clearly, there's a pattern here. Is it a question of infrastructure improvements, as many are saying? Hi there. So there are multiple causes ranging from human error, like overspeeding, for instance, to problems on the tracks. In one derailment, there were rocks on the track that had fallen from mountains above it. Trespassing on railroads is actually a leading cause of railway fatalities that you don't hear about very often. We hear about accidents and so forth, but not about those. Then there are collisions as well at highway rail crossings. Now, many of these are not related to the state of infrastructure per se, but on the broader question of infrastructure, Yes, you are right. While we don't yet know the cause of this particular derailment, the investigation has just started, it is true that Amtrak has been suffering from a lack of federal support. Amtrak operates over a 21,400-mile network, 70% of which is owned by other railroads, okay? And though freight and passenger rail run on the same integrated system, freight gets more money from direct shipper fees, but passenger rail doesn't get as much. The current repair backlog has been estimated at $45.2 billion. The busiest rail corridor, the Northeast Corridor, which is where I am, that's the Washington, D.C., New York, Boston Corridor, is constantly plagued by infrastructure-related delays. The American Infrastructure Report for 2021 gave railways a B grade. 
Okay, Normal, next question. We know the House Committee has voted to pass the $3.5 trillion spending bill, send it to the House floor. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi also reiterated that the Democrats' commitment to bring this bill in a separate $1 trillion infrastructure bill to the floor this week. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here, Normal. First of all, what kind of challenges could the Democrats face when trying to get this bill passed? This accident, could it help reduce the divide that we see between the lawmakers? Could it also quicken the pace of passing where this expenditure is needed. I mean, what's it going to take here? Will this particular accident make a difference to the infrastructure spending bill? I doubt it. These problems are already well known. That's why we have the bill. And railways are just a part of the bill. There are many other components, bridges, dams, water pipes, electricity grids, broadband, airports, and so forth. So House Democrats will vote on Monday on a bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. But there are doubts that will pass because they don't have the votes to pass it. And that's not because they don't like it, but because they want to vote first on a much larger 3.5 trillion social spending package. That is the second piece or the centerpiece, really, of President Biden's two-part domestic agenda. So Democrats in the House and the Senate have been busy negotiating the details of this larger family package, which they want to advance through a special budget process known as reconciliation. That bill would expand education, healthcare, and childcare support, address the climate crisis, and make further investments in infrastructure. Republicans are united in their opposition to it, so the Democrats have to stick together. But some in the Democrats worry that the measures, including on drug pricing and climate, go too far. And progressives have said they won't vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill on Monday without the broader economic package. Liberals are skeptical that whatever emerges will not satisfy demands to expand social safety net programs, tackle climate change, and so forth. At the root of a lot of this is how all this is going to be paid for. So again, the bipartisan bill is scheduled for a vote on Monday, and the broader economic package is still not finalized. And these deep disagreements remain. President Biden on Friday acknowledged negotiations had reached a stalemate, and some say his experience and skills are needed more than ever now to get everyone together. The president and the progressives want these bills, and especially the larger one, to be his signature transformative legislation. There are deadlines coming too. Congress must also pass legislation by the 30th to fund the federal government and by mid-October to raise the debt ceiling in order to pay the country's bills. So it is going to be a very intense week. Something has to give, as they say, and it is not clear what that is. And it is also going to be a test of the president's experience and influence in Congress. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Normal, another issue making headlines is the vaccine mandate in New York City. A U.S. appeals court apparently has blocked the vaccine mandate just before it was set to take effect. There is a group challenging the mandate. Tell us first what their concerns are and why alternatives were not considered, for instance, weekly testing. Yes, so the judge's ruling means the mandate, which requires all New York City Department of Education employees to provide proof of at least one dose of a COVID vaccine by Monday, may not go into effect. It is on the court's calendar for Wednesday, and city officials remain confident the mandate will be upheld once they have presented all the facts and made a proper case for safety of staff and students. But until then, there may be thousands of teachers who might not show up for work on Tuesday morning, which is when the mandate actually goes into effect. But that's just one day. If the court rules on Wednesday, then it should sort itself out within a couple of days. Now, 
Unions representing teachers, principals and supervisors have said the mandate's introduction has been so poorly handled that many school employees would end up being suspended. This ruling came when a group of New York City public school employees sued to block the mandate, arguing that their rights to due process and equal protection were violated. The complaint specifically said that the order violated their right to pursue their profession. As for weekly testing, there is weekly testing, but not as an alternative to getting vaccinated. Otherwise, millions who don't really want to get vaccinated would just opt for weekly testing, which defeats the purpose of the vaccine mandates and now apply to all federal workers, federal contractors and so forth. We're on the line this morning with uh, Street Times U.S. Bureau Chief Nirmal Ghosh. Uh, time now to turn our attention to uh, an issue that's uh, deeply divided the United States, the Texas abortion law. Uh, so the Lone Star State, where one of the country's strictest anti-abortion laws have become the center of debate. Now, a new law has made it more challenging to gain access to abortion-inducing medication. Uh, Nirmal, could you tell us a little bit more about this and what it means for the anti-abortion stands over there. Right. So the new law goes into effect on the 2nd of December. It basically narrows the window further in which doctors are allowed to give abortion-inducing medication to patients from 10 weeks to 7 weeks after conception. It is a further tightening of the rules to prevent and, in fact, try and abolish abortion. It also outlaws mailing these abortion-inducing drugs. In April, the Biden administration had temporarily allowed this medication to be mailed when in-person visits were not always possible due to the pandemic. That has now been reversed in Texas. This is all about what Governor Abbott calls Texas values. It is a religious conservative agenda, which has always been part of the agenda of the more religious conservative wing of the Republican Party. Nirmal, I understand that the U.S. House of Representatives has approved legislation to protect abortion services against growing Republican-backed state restrictions, including the one in Texas. But observers are actually saying that the bill is unlikely to pass the Senate. Uh, To what extent is this really a dead end for the Democrats and abortion rights activists? Well, it's not a dead end as long as Roe versus Wade still stands. That is the Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion. And if Roe v. Wade is challenged and is reversed, that can also still be challenged. And the Democrats can also expand the current nine-bench Supreme Court to appoint more liberal judges to it. Though, of course, if they lose the House and Senate in the midterms, which are just over one year away, that option will also close. Not to speak of if they lose the White House in 2022, that will be the real dead end. So the House passed this legislation to codify abortion rights protections from Roe v. Wade because of the threat to Roe v. Wade from the precedents set by this Texas law and some other restrictions passed in some other uh, Republican states. The Supreme Court's 5-4 to order allowing that Texas law to take effect earlier this month was the trigger. Speaker Nancy Pelosi said they must codify Roe v. Wade. And by the way, the House passed it by 218 to 211 votes. And one Democrat voted against it, and he happens to be from Texas. But it won't make it in the Senate, where it would need at least 10 Republicans to support the bill for it to advance to a final vote. You could say that would be a temporary dead end. But again, it would be temporary. As I said, it isn't actually over until Roe v. Wade is actually overturned and there are no options left. Thank you very much for that, Nirmal. Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times, giving us the lowdown on the issues making headlines in Washington. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. 
like us and rate us.